This is Birth Aloud Radio, where we challenge the status quo around that most basic human right, how, where, and with whom we are allowed to give birth. I'm your host and the founder of Birth Monopoly, Kristen Piscucci. Hi, Sabia. Hello. Today we're talking to Sabia Wade. Sabia is a black, queer, full-spectrum doula in San Diego. Instagram handle, the black doula, which is very recognizable and easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's the owner of Birthing Advocacy Doula Trainings and executive director for The Village, which is a reproductive justice nonprofit that provides free doula services to low-income and marginalized groups in the San Diego area. Hi, again. Hello. I'm psyched to talk about this whole topic, which could take us in many different directions. <laughs> Are you kind of nervous? Like, okay, how is this going to work? Hopefully I mean, I a up. little bit, but mostly because I had coffee this morning, and I don't usually drink coffee, and it makes me I don't weird. drink coffee. It makes me very jittery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm experiencing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we started communicating a little bit about advocacy and doulas and all that that means. And so we thought, let's do a podcast about this conversation. Yes, absolutely. And it's also um, so funny because in my first, in my doula trainings for birthing advocacy, our first cohort, I used your graphics and I was like telling them about obstetric violence and like examples of it. And I was like sending them to your website where they can report stuff aww. and like, so that's why, like, when we finally connect, I was like, please, like, <laughs> I was like, I've been already, I've talked about you, I've talked about your organization, I've talked about all the work that you do, like, this is, we need to do this. Oh, well, thanks. That's no awesome. Problem. Thank you I for the work that, that you do, because, like, that map and everything, it really, like, opened the eyes for my doulas. They're like, oh, this, this shit is happening everywhere. I mean, yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of the point. I think that's really important for people no matter what we're talking about, not just obstetric violence, Mm -hmm. but that people know they're not alone in things. I feel like that is one of the things that allows people to open their mouths is when they realize that they are not a standalone victim. They're like, oh, this is a pattern. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this is a thing that's happening to other people. And Mm -hmm. this didn't happen to me because there's something wrong with me or I didn't do something right. Or, you know, I'm vulnerable in a way that I shouldn't have been. Yeah, it's like, exactly. yeah, well, thank you for mentioning that. That's the obstetric violence stories map, which is at Birth Monopoly. You can get to it right from the, the homepage. So lately, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how we don't even have a common definition for advocacy. I know evidence-based birth put out a definition, which I really liked. It was something like advocacy is supporting the birthing person and their right to make decisions about their Mm -hmm. own birth and and bodies, which I think is really great. But I do think it's an evolving conversation. How would you define it? And, you know, it doesn't have to be, like, it can be a conversation. Yeah. So when I think about it, the first thing that comes to my mind with advocacy is putting the birthing person first. So putting their thoughts, their emotions, their needs, their wants, their desires, whatever that is, putting that first and trying to stay in line with what they want. When I think about advocacy, that's the thing that comes to my mind first. And then also there's the other side of it, 
where advocacy is making sure that the person's rights are being upheld, (laughs) making sure that people are asking questions and not just going straight into action, Um, making sure there's informed consent. Like there's so many, I guess there's levels to it, to be honest, when I think about it, it's like, there's so many different ways that you can advocate for somebody. And even with the clients that I work with, I feel like advocacy and what they expect from advocacy looks different depending on who they are, their income level, their race, their gender, their sexual identity, like all these different things contribute to advocacy, but it looks different depending on the person's lens. That makes sense. And maybe that's why it's such a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can just fit in a box and yeah, say it, it is it looks, this or it isn't that. Yeah, it looks completely different. Like what somebody, you know, what client A may see as a priority Like, I mean, obviously I've had some people that go into the hospital system and, you know, they have a plan that's pretty much, I don't want to say in line with the hospital system, but, you know, they're including interventions. They're okay with that, but they just want to make sure that things fall in line with that. Then I have other people, you know, client B, maybe like, you know, I'm going into the hospital system, but I don't want anything. And I'm also fearful because of my race. I'm fearful because of these other things. So my advocacy looks different from client A to client B. However, is is the advocacy that each person needs individually that that matters. Yeah. Can you give an example? Maybe like a client A and a client B example, Mm -hmm. like you just described? Yeah. So client A, I'll give you some history. They were a white couple. The wife was a nurse. The husband was a doctor himself. They went into wanting a hospital birth, feeling completely fine with that. Not really any concerns about like necessarily their treatment or anything like that. And in the birthing room, everything was fine. The only thing that they really had where they wanted some kind of advocacy there was when it came to newborn procedures. So like hepatitis B, erythromycin, and vitamin K. So they chose, I forgot which one they chose not to have. But I guess the doctor was kind of trying to make sure that they have it. So they kind of have a little pushback and whatever. So for them, it was me supporting them at that point in their, um, in their process. And so I did that. It was fine. We did what we had to do. And it was great. And they were happy. But they also, like, afterwards were talking about how they felt the way because the doctor, um, the L&D doctor, was basically trying to get them to, you know, do all the procedures and they didn't want to and it was this whole thing and if they felt the pressure from when they were in the prenatal phase and you know so that was kind of what they wanted that was their biggest thing um but other than that as far as like the actual hospital like situation it was fine she birthed naturally no one was pressuring her into anything they respected her wishes the husband actually had the ability to like pretty much deliver the baby because he knew the doctors right so it was like it was like a different type of advocacy so then client B, so actually this happened yesterday. So <laughs> client B was planning for a home birth, wanted to, not even home birth, she planned to birth in a birth center. She wanted a water birth. Um, unfortunately, she was having high blood pressure. Her kidneys weren't functioning um, as well as they should be. And so we had to switch to the hospital system. So then we got to the hospital system and she already had really big fears around it. She's a black woman. You know, she's dealt with some trauma in the medical system before. So she, especially in a hospital setting, was like, I really need you to advocate for me because I don't feel safe. 
And I feel like my opinions are not going to be trusted and I'm going to be um, dealing with people trying to force me into doing things. So she was absolutely right. So <laughs> immediately upon induction, they did Cervidil, which is a great option. Get her, get her cervix in, do that whole process. And she felt great about that. She was like, okay, they're listening to me. You know, I want this to be as gentle as possible, whatever. whatever. So then after the Cervidil, the Cervidil wasn't placed correctly. She didn't really have any progress. They were like, oh, let's just go straight to side attack. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, we're not going straight to side attack. We're not going from cervical to side attack. And the thing that was really annoying for me was that when they mentioned side attack for her, it was very casual. Like, oh, so we're going to go from cervical. We're going to just give you some side attack. It'll be fine. No explanation of how side attack affects you. No explanation of what could be the downfalls of side attack, especially with her having high blood pressure. One of the side effects of side attack is high blood pressure, right? <laughs> like, so no one was explaining that to her. So we had to jump in and say like, hey, wait a minute, we're not gonna do that. So I had to explain to her what other options she could have, what other ways we can do this. And then we had to literally push back and forth with the doctor. So the doctor was like, I don't wanna do these other options we should just do side attack. And we're like, no, we're not going to do side attack because that's going to put her in distress. Her baby's not even engaged. Like, <laughs> there's no need so did you, to go So did you say that directly to the doctor? So no, I told her what to say, right? Because also as part of me being a doula is that I'm not supposed to be talking to the doctor directly. Sometimes do I have doctors where like we can have a passing in conversation? Yes, because they're more doula friendly or they may have worked with me before. But I had to educate her and tell her what language to use to then talk to them. <laughs> and then once they kind of saw that she was informed and, they, and she knew what she was talking about and what she was saying was realistic, then they changed the plan to something that was more gentle. So two different levels of advocacy. One was, oh, just help me with this part. I just want you to be there to witness what's going on and be supportive. And it was great. And the other one was like, no, I need you to make sure that I'm not put in a situation that's going to put me at risk. Mm -hmm. So two different mm -hmm. things, but they mm -hmm. both felt at the end, they both were so happy. They both felt that they had the experience that they needed to have. I want to ask you about when you said you're not supposed to talk to the doctors. Can you, mm -hmm. can you talk about that some more? Can you clarify that statement? The reason is because I've heard certain doulas say we're not allowed to talk to the staff. Like mm -hmm. period. Like you're not even allowed to like have like human interactions with them. Yeah. So I want to like, be real clear about what you meant when you said that. So when I say that I'm not supposed to talk to the doctor, what I learned when I first became a doula, which was in 2015, I was a prison birth project doula for two years. And what I learned was we're not supposed to talk directly to the staff. So for me, what I've learned, I guess, over the last four to five years was that there's going to be different philosophies that are held by different staff members, right? So I've had some doctors and I've had some nurses who really look at me for a lot of input. You know, they're like, what's going on? Do we need something? How can we help? They really see me as an asset to the team. So they don't mind when I have conversations with them or if I ask questions or whatever it is that I do. But then you have other doctors and nurses or whatever staff members where they are not that doula friendly. <laughs> they do not like the idea of you being there. They really don't like the idea of you advocating for your client, whether they say it or not. 
um, in those circumstances, it's best not to talk directly to them because it can be seen as disrespectful. I have one midwife who was asking my client about a certain like intervention. So my client looked at me and was like, oh, what do you think? And the midwife said, this is your birth, right? This is your birth. Pretty much trying to like box me out of the conversation. And, <laughs> and my client was like, okay, but I trust her. She's been around since the beginning. So I know this is my birth but I also value her opinion. Yeah, so, and it is my birth, so I'm allowed to ask her what she thinks about my exactly. birth. <laughs> exactly. About my, the information or whatever. Exactly, so in that circumstance, that laid the foundation for me. Me and this midwife can't talk, right? Because it's such a disconnect, especially obviously in hospital settings, around what doulas do and the feelings around doulas. So you have to be careful about how you navigate the room in some circumstances, you just can't talk to the doctor. And what that looks like is that you're talking to your client and informing them on what to say to the next person. And sometimes, I mean, it can literally be in front of the doctor. So for example, um, yesterday, my client, last night, she wanted to know about a cervical exam. So the nurse came in, and I actually did like her nurse, but the nurse came in and my client just started having a conversation about something else. So what I did was I asked my client, like, oh, wasn't there something you wanted to talk about with the nurse? And I gave her the cue, like, <laughs> let me ask that question. So sometimes I have to do that, especially if it's a doctor or a midwife or a nurse that just doesn't, they don't like doulas. It just depends for me, in my opinion, on the environment. Are they doula friendly? What's the mood? <laughs> like, how's everyone coming off? Is it a really critical situation? Do you have a doctor who feels like doulas are just pushy people that only push for natural births? Like, <laughs> It really depends on that. So I think you have to go in and really sense it. And then also for me, me being a Black doula, especially, and working in San Diego, which is very white, is predominantly white. I definitely have had some situations where nurses have looked at me a certain type of way. And even my clients have brought it to my attention. Like, oh, this person doesn't like you and it feels like it's some racism involved. And they don't like the fact that you're helping us and guiding us and being present because they feel like, you're not as educated as them. There probably is some racial dynamic and they're intimidated. <laughs> so that's yeah. kind of, it just kind of flip-flops. Some doctors I can talk to, some I can't. Yeah. So it's not like a hard and fast rule. It's you using no. your judgment and mm -hmm. deciding what's going to serve the client best mm -hmm. in whatever situation. Absolutely. And of course, if it's something that's an immediate, like an absolute no. So I've definitely been in situations, of course, where a nurse will come in and say, okay, well, let's check your cervix. And then, of course, if my client, especially depending on their personality type, is more, you know, more like uh, intimidated or really not, they have a hard time speaking up for themselves. In that regard, I definitely will say, oh, she doesn't want a cervical exam right now. And I'll let them reassess the conversation. Because in that circumstance, I'm not going to let my client be traumatized or be coerced into doing something. And I'm standing right there. <laughs> so in those circumstances, I will say what I have to say to whoever I have to say it to in the most nice you know, way possible with a smile. So that's interesting because my perception is that the conversation around advocacy looks very different in Black birth communities and white birth communities. Mm -hmm. Would you say that? Absolutely. And you know, that was our first conversation that me and you went back and forth with. And I was like, oh yeah, she's my people. She gets it. 
So I sent you, you know, um, well, there's many, actually many different dual organizations where in their dual scope of practice, they have different limitations to what they want their doulas to follow. So in a couple of these organizations, a couple that we've talked about, there is basically a rule being set that if you're, if you're certified by this organization and you have clients, one of the things that you should follow is that you shouldn't go against a doctor's advice or you shouldn't um, provide resources or provide options or do anything that goes against what the doctor is saying or questions what the doctor is saying. So, so hold on. So like, let me just get really mm-hmm. specific about that. So mm-hmm. saying a doctor walks in a room and says, we're going to do this thing to you, to your client. We're going to do this mm-hmm. thing to you. Isn't asking permission, isn't providing information. And it's something that you just know is contraindicated for that mm-hmm. person. And yep. then you're in this position of like, Ugh, I know my client doesn't want this. And mm-hmm. even though I'm not a medical professional, I know enough to know that that is actually medically contraindicated, for example, yep. which exactly. is a tough position to be in, right? Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to give medical advice, but you're not an idiot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's exactly what happened last night, right? Like, my client has high blood pressure. She's barely dilated at this point. She's just at the beginning of an induction method. So you try Cervido, it doesn't work because it's not placed properly. And then you go straight to Cytotec. So Cytotec gives you back-to-back contractions for hours. And one of the side effects can be that your blood pressure rises for obvious reasons. You go from zero to 100. So of course your body's working harder, blood pressure's rising. And then with her, she was having um, blood pressures in a severe range. So I know that if she goes on side attack and her blood pressure rises and it's not able to come down because her body is working so hard, they're going to send her right to the OR. Like that's just, it just is what it is. So in that situation, in some of these organizations, they tell you not to go against what the doctor says, not to give advice to what the doctor says, because it will cause your client to question whether the doctor is good enough or whether they're in a better facility, it'll, you know, it'll make them. If they should trust what, them. That, yeah. If they should trust them. And then like, what do you do? Cause you're not the medical provider, right? Like, <laughs> you can't really do anything. So that was pretty much the whole inspiration for my racism and privilege and birth workshop. Because I was like, when I saw it, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, in order for someone to feel like they never want to question the medical system, they never want to question a doctor, they have to be the group of people that are benefiting from that system, right? It has to be some type of connection, some type of trust, some type of um, relationship for that group of people to feel like, I'm not going to question a doctor. Like, you know, I trust this system. And I was like, but for specifically for my people, for Black people who are dying more in childbirth, whose children are dying more in one year, right? With the black maternal infant death crisis that we're in. I was like, that could be literally the reason why someone ends up in a coffin. And I mean, this is any client, black, white, purple, whatever, but specifically with black, my black clients, if I'm not questioning, if I'm not bringing up options, if I'm not telling them the best way to go about something or at least a different option of what I see as beneficial, that can literally be life and death. So when I saw that, I was just like, there, there's a different level of advocacy that is needed for certain populations. 
right? And another thing that I noticed too was when I came to San Diego, I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I'm gonna go full-time into doula work. And I would meet with, you know, you kind of meet and greet with the community. And so <laughs> most of the doulas in San Diego are, are white doulas. And I would, you know, hang out with them, go to lunch, we had these conversations. And I was like, just talking about things like, you know, things I'm passionate about, like, <laughs> you know, being a black person and what's going on in our world and birth and, and brown people and all these different things. And one of the things that I noticed is that the white doulas, a few of them, several of them, even like people that have been doulas for a long time, making a lot of money, did not know these statistics. So when you get black and brown people, how are you serving them correctly if you don't know what's going on in their community? <laughs> like, how are you telling them, hey, trust this doctor, go do this thing, no, it's fine, if you don't know what's going on in their communities. So it was just really, it's just, a, it's a difference. It's a difference. It's a level of um, knowledge that has to be in place for you to serve certain populations. And I mean, that's even with queer people, right? That's even with trans people, right? If you're going to serve that population, you should know what's going on with that population. So in my dual training schools and birthing advocacy, my school, we talk a lot about that, that there's different needs for different people. When we talk about trauma-informed care, when we talk about advocacy, we have to be specific about what these individuals need versus the next person. And, I, and I'm also not against, like, if there's a Black family and a white doula, y'all can work together if that feels good, but please be knowledgeable about what that community is going through and what they actually need and what advocacy is going to look like for those people. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. If you're, you're asking people to put their trust in a system, then that system better work for them. But we know that's <laughs> just not the case. Yep, we know it's not the case. Either we know it's not the case that so we should be doing better or we just have people that really legit don't know. And I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> like, you know, even that to me, like, and like, you know, my I talk about racism, privilege, and birth work, and I'm like, if you don't know what's going on, I feel like there's a bit of privilege in that, right? Because it's probably not affecting you. You probably don't have to be aware of it. You probably don't have to see it day to day. You're probably not affected by it in your community. So there's a there's a, a privilege of being kind of blind to it because it doesn't affect you, and you have to be aware of that. I mean, I think step one is that people need to be aware that there is a lot of segregation in the birth community. There just is. I mean, there just is. I went years without like realizing there was a black birth community. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. it was like, oh wow, boy, do I feel dumb. Yes. There's a there's a whole you know what I mean. There's all this work going on. There's all this stuff happening. Yeah, and, and I mean it's it's so many different it's so much going on in the sense of like, obviously there's a crisis on the, on the patient side, right? The client side. But then there's also, I feel like personally, I feel like there's a crisis in being a POC birth worker because just from seeing the landscape in San Diego and just from knowing people all over the U S there's also a difference in how birth, like uh, people of color, POC birth workers are being able to create sustainable lives doing birth work. So there's also, that's a crisis within itself where we are needed, right? Like we are needed because POCs working for other POCs in this birth thing, we save lives, right? Because we understand it is culturally appropriate. You know, we, we speak the same language. We're there to do the advocacy. We're there, there to do all of it. 
but POCs are not able to make sustainable lifestyles from this. So I see a lot of black doulas, brown doulas who want to do the work so bad, but they're not able to pay their bills. And I remember when I started in San Diego, I would say, I want work and some people send me work or whatever the case is. And people send me free and low cost work all the time. And I had to get to a point where I was like, do you not think I have bills to pay? <laughs> like, why do you think that referring me only to free and low cost work is, is what I'm worth, you know? So I think there's also that crisis that's not being talked about enough. How do we, now that we know that the black and brown communities exist, the birth workers community exists, how do we create ways to make it sustainable so that they can continue to do the advocacy and the work for their own communities? Yeah. Like that conversation well, to me is not had enough. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is there are really two different models existing. And I want to mm -hmm. clarify my comment before. Mm -hmm. I think that I, as a white person, and probably a lot of other white people think this way, think there's just a birth worker community and some of the people in that community aren't white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's mm -hmm. not, it's not really what's yeah. going on. Mm -hmm. There are different communities and different Absolutely. models happening. So it's a problem when we have anybody saying the role of all doulas looks like this mm -hmm. and the business model for all doulas should look like this because mm -hmm. that just doesn't fit. It doesn't everybody. work. And even in my nonprofit, so one of the things that is really important to me is that I really like to create opportunities for other people. Um, and I think as a doula in general, it's hard when, especially if you're going to be a birth doula, it's really hard because you're like, where do I get my first births? Like, what do I do? So then you have all these doulas doing free work because the doula system tells them that you have to do free work in order to like, you know, make yourself eligible for pay, which is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that we created in my nonprofit is that we train doulas for free um, within the community. They commit to doing four births in a six month period. And we also pay them for the births that they do. Um, and another thing that we also do in my nonprofit, which is really important to me, is that whoever really wants to make a career out of this, I have continued conversations with them. I also send them paid work. People that, you know, that don't qualify for my nonprofit, I send them, you know, paid work from there as well. Because the system that we have right now that's in place is not working. And I'm like, we need people of the community to do the work in the community, right? And if we can create opportunities and financial you know, some financial sustainability for them, then it allows them the chance to actually do this work and not be so burnt out <laughs> and not be completely broke. Yep. We need to go to a break. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll be right back. Henry. By the way, my mom is working for Birth Monopoly. I have a secret that I can't tell anybody. What I know about Birth Monopoly is not very much. We're back with Sabia Wade. And Sabia, you said something to me earlier about kind of differentiating yourself and mm -hmm. how your business took off after you did that. Can you talk about that? Yes. So I believe we were starting the conversation based on, I don't know how we got, I know we were talking about like 
logos and we're talking about like just yeah we were talking about doula business names and logos and, and how, how like, they're all very similar they all look yeah they they all yeah. sound and look the same no yeah all, that's you what know what i mean about. there's a lot yeah. of it yeah so in that conversation we we're talking about how there's an imagery of like what a successful doula is so usually that imagery super quote-unquote feminine is super you know um pastel colors and even the doulas feel like oh I have to come in I have to talk softly and you made a good point where you're like you feel like there's a facade that there's like a facade that has to be placed in front and then you see the real person behind it for some doulas not all doulas but just in general how like to be a successful doula is just this imagery of like soft pastel colors and images and like all this whatever and I was saying how my image is not like that. My Even my website is just basic. It's like <laughs> white, burgundy, black. My logo is very just basic. The black doula. Me personally, I'm not the most feminine person. I'm very like in between. I, I, and I like that about myself. So anyway, when I first quit my job last year in San Diego, I was like, okay, I want to do this work full time. So I started to align with that imagery. I remember my first couple of websites that I made, they were definitely like more white and more this and more soft and all of the other things because I thought like in order for me to be successful or for me to, to be in this worthy of being a doula, I guess, or being a successful doula, that I had to portray that type of imagery. I remember even setting up my Instagram in a way that was like, I'm giving like, you know, these like deep quotes and like you know like it was just like this thing that I kept seeing that I thought I had to replicate so at one point I started um especially in San Diego like I said it's a highly white population only five to six percent of the population here is black and so I was like I started working for this agency a postpartum agency and again me trying to align with okay this is how I see people make money this is how I see them create a sustainable life they do this postpartum doula work and they work overnights and they work in these like really rich areas in San Diego. So let me do that. Right. So I interviewed for this agency. I got hired by them. And I, in the beginning, I was excited. Like I'm aligning with the oppressor, right? <laughs> like I'm aligning with these white people, honestly, and they're seeing me as worthy of being in this space. So I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to have job security. I'm going to have, you know, reputation, all this other stuff. So I started working in these households of people that make millions. I mean, lots of money. They're not hurting for nothing. And it was complete trash. <laughs> like, it was complete trash. And the last house that I worked at, I mean, it was like the house was like a museum. Like it was the biggest house I've ever been. Like the walls are stone. Everything is glass. Like, and these clients just, just treated me like shit. Like it was like she wouldn't let us leave the room she she was just disrespectful she was so like I don't know like she would just we would give her advice like I would give her advice and she just would be like oh, I'm not gonna listen to you and do her own thing but then when the babies weren't like doing what she needs she would come like it was just really it just wasn't a good situation like to the point that my anxiety was so high that I had to like text a doula one time through a shift because I was like I need to be doula right now I was like I feel so trapped I feel like I'm going against everything that I stand for. And I was like, and what is it worth? Like, what is it worth? Now I'm in this room and I can barely breathe. And these babies are not the reason. 
right? These babies are lovely. They're sweet. They're pure. They're the cutest babies ever. I was like, but I'm getting treated like shit. And I was like, I feel like I'm providing you a service. Yes, you're paying me, but this is a two-way interaction. This is a two-way transaction. So after that long story short, I ended up quitting that agency. And it was like this big thing because the owner also just wasn't uh, listening to me. So I ended up quitting the agency and she, the owner was texting the other dudes who actually were standing up for me. They were like, we've been telling you that there's a racial element going on. We've been telling you that Sabi is being mistreated in ways that we're not. Like, I mean, it was a very, you know, it was an ongoing situation. And so I remember she posted in the group that she didn't think I was able to see. She was like, well, what about her reputation? Like, doesn't she care about her reputation? And at the time, that was a really big decision for me because I was like, man, like, this is consistent money. I don't have anything else to fall back on. Like, I'm just starting to get, you know, my own birth clients here. I was just like, you know what? I can't, I can't do this. I was like, because my reputation doesn't matter to these people. Like, I don't care what they think about me. Because if they're going to be this disrespectful, as I'm helping them with their children, because it was twins, because my special team postpartum is twins. Like, I'm helping you with your children. I'm making sure that all your needs are met and you treat me like this. I don't care what you think about me. This is not the community that I want to work in. So after that, I decided, like, I'm just going to do my own thing. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do my own thing. And I was like, I'm not sure if it's going to work. I'm not sure, you know, if it's going to be perceived well. Um, and from that point was really my transition. I really started to do my nonprofit at the time. I had just um, got it, like, officially done on paper. Um, I started to do, at the time I was doing POC birth worker meetups to meet the other POCs in the community that were doing this work because we were so spread out where we didn't even know each other. So I was like, let's bring that in. Um, <laughs> I also started to like change my website from like this floral, like whatever, because that wasn't me. And I started to really think about like what I wanted to do in the future. And I really started to speak to my community and my marketing because I was like, someone also told me like, well, if you only market to black and brown people, you're not going to get paid or, you know, there's no money in that community. And I was like, I don't believe that. You're like, like not that. if you have anything to do with it, that's true. Yeah. Cause that's the <laughs> yeah. only business you give me. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't believe that. So I really started to, to shift. Of course it was scary. It was a lot, but I, I realized that, like I told you, if, if I get rich, if I create a system for people that don't align with this like imagery of what a doula is or don't align with whiteness <laughs> all the time, if I create that and I create, you know, whatever system, whatever method, and I create abundance from that, I'm going to be able to show other people how to do that, right? And when we talk about the crisis of specifically POC birth workers not being able to create like sustainable lives from this. I was like, I'm going to be an example of how to do that. And of course, for me to be able to do that, it wasn't even like steering the ship another way. It was like, no, you have to create the ship. <laughs> like, the ship doesn't exist. <laughs> like, you're going to have to build it from the foundation and keep building up. And then once you get the ship, you can steer it and add other people onto your ship. Right? So for me at the beginning, it was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I don't know if this is going to work. But now I feel like I've created a base of clients, of course, and, and duels that I work with in my dual training schools and just people that follow me who are like, you know, I don't have this imagery of what a doula is. I don't even want to embody that because that's not me. You know, maybe I'm queer. Maybe I'm trans. Maybe I'm just 
not you know daisies and lotus and like and there's nothing wrong if that's who you are but if that's not who you are we have to make space for those type of people in the birth world because i'm not that kind of person so from there i just created what i wanted to see and then i learned that other people wanted to see it too and now we're like building this shit together and we're steering it in a different direction and it's just been an enlightening path because nobody else was doing it no one in my circle and now i see people jumping onto my ship and i'm like oh we're really doing this like the more i come up the more my whole community comes up so it's just it's exciting it's stressful at times um <laughs> but it's worth it if we can create a new way of how we advocate for our clients and how we advocate for the doula community and the birthwork community in itself and i think it's so important for people to see other people building their own ships like, mm -hmm. that's a thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. Anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. One of the things also is, like, when we talk about imagery, is that a lot of people get discouraged because of the imagery. I don't see a lot of birth workers who look like me, <laughs> right? I don't see a lot of, you know, people who are, like, making change, building sustainable lives who look like me. And I think part of when we talk about advocacy, like, I feel like, I teach, right, about, like, advocating for your clients and all other stuff, but I feel like my job is shifting to advocating for doulas, <laughs> and it's, like, and it's really weird, but I feel like I'm taking that role where I'm, like, I'm going to advocate for this community to have what they need so that they can be the best version of themselves for the clients that need them. Doulas right? need that. Right, because if you're yeah. broke, it's not fun being a broke doula. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just not I was broke last year and I was losing my shit I'm much more present for my clients now in every single way because I'm building a sustainable life for myself right and it allows me to be super present for them so we just have to reverse the pathway of what birth work has like told us that this should be free and it should da 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 and you should you know you should be grateful if you do this or you should look this way or you should give this type of image for this to work because it, it doesn't have to be that way and it's not going to be that way and if I have anything to do with it it's going to be different <laughs> I'm advocating for the doulas and the midwives well recently you did a webinar on martyrdom in oh, birth yes. work which yes. I missed, unfortunately, because I was hosting a webinar that same day. I know. But I was, like, really excited when I saw the title of it because mm -hmm. I, I think that is such a thing, martyrdom, mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. for a lot of women, that's a thing, mm -hmm. and certainly for smaller and more specific groups than that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. What do you and think? It's, <laughs> it, yeah, it's – so for me, the reason why that came up is because – so I was talking to Kimberly – <laughs> and that's um, Kimberly Ann Johnson. That's my homie. And we were talking about, actually, I had put up a listing for a personal assistant because my last one just, it didn't work out. And so I was like, I need a personal assistant and I need one like right now. So I had specifically put in like programs that they need to know, Zoom, Thinkific, all these programs that I, that I you know, that I use. And I was like, I need someone pretty much to start immediately. So people started sending me resumes and a lot of the people that were sending me resumes were doulas. And so I would look at the resumes and some of them had nothing to do with anything that I asked for. Right. Which is like fine, but I just wasn't in it. I'm, I'm at that time. I was in a state to hire someone. Where I can, I have to teach them each program. Right. So me and Kimberly was talking about that. And she was like, you know, that really is a reflection of the state of birth work. 
where even though people are full-time doulas, they're not making enough income in their, you know, in what they're supposed to do. So now they're trying to just pick up all these side jobs because they're not making enough income. And so we just started talking further about that. And we just started talking about martyrdom and birth work because it's a lot of martyrdom happening because not only are the people outside of the birth world telling people that they're not valuable, telling duels and midwives that they're not valuable, but there's also the conversation that's happening inside the birth world. <laughs> and, like, and so even like this weekend, this past weekend, I was training some new duels for my nonprofit and um, we started talking about that. And one of the doulas who's been in my nonprofit since the beginning, she was like, yeah, I had other doulas, like other more experienced doulas tell me like, oh, you can't build a sustainable life doing this work. Like you're always going to be on call. You're never going to be able to take vacations. You're never going to be able to do any of that because that's what this work requires. And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, so what, what impression are we giving newer doulas coming into this birth world that like they can't take a break. They, they got to cut their prices to get money. They have to, you know, do all this martyrdom. They have to put everyone before themselves. And as, as, and naturally as birth workers, we want to do that, right? Like most of the time, if you're a birth worker, you are in some sense a martyr. You just are. But I was like, how are we preaching that? And how is that going to change? Again, how are we going to steer the ship in a different direction? If the inside of the community is telling people all these like false beliefs and, and false lies just because it didn't work for you sis don't mean it can't work for the next person it means that we need to build a better model right and not only do we need to build a better model but there's so much value in being a birth worker if we have hospital organizations who are building who have million billion dollar systems and they're saying, oh, let's, let's have a volunteer doula program because it's going to bring people in, right? Let's start connecting to these freestanding birth centers because it's going to bring people in. Or let's get these people to come in because we don't know what we're doing because we're still having people dying all the time or we're still having a whole bunch of complications. <laughs> but these doulas who don't have to be college educated, who don't need any of that, we know that if we bring them in, we can shift our outcomes. If billion dollar companies and million dollar companies are saying that, we are fucking valuable. So why are we putting, why are we letting people run over us? Why are we the martyrs? And we're literally bringing so much value to billion dollar systems that have been around for hundreds of years. So we have to stop it. We just do. And that's the whole thing. But And this reaction of like, of like, yes, I'd like to help. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I would love to help you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or for no compensation exactly. and for no respect. Exactly. And being afraid to put a number on their help. If you're from a billion, listen, if you ask me <laughs> to help you out and I know that your life has a certain level of income, I have no, no problem saying, well, this is the price for this because I need to be compensated. I have bills to pay. Right. And I tell my duels too, like when you're putting your pricing together and when you're doing these different opportunities, you got to put in money for your vacation time. We don't get PTO. We don't don't get anyone saying like, hey, here's a day off. We'll pay for that. You have to put all that in because you're worth putting all that money and time into. Like you are valuable. You are changing. Like, Like we literally save lives. We change outcomes. Right. Like we are so effective. And so we should be seeing that. And unfortunately, we don't live in a world where we can trade bread for rent. You know what I mean? Like we, we just don't. So we have to stop this martyrdom and stop making it an expectation. And we have to stop making it a way of, I feel like it's now become a way of saying like, oh, you're really good at what you're doing if you are more of a martyr. 
You know what I mean? Like you're really, you're really committed to this work because you're doing all this work for free. So you must really be into it. It's like, no, that is not, it's not healthy and it's not yeah. sustainable. Well, my really good friends just had a baby and they hired a doula and they took childbirth education. They took the evidence-based birth, um, childbirth mm-hmm. education course. And they're about as far away from the birth world as you could possibly get. Yeah. And <laughs> It was funny because like the father in that situation, he contacted me several times to be like, do you even understand how valuable this is? Kristen, do Mm -hmm. you, Kristen, why aren't you rich? (laughs) I I don't understand. Why aren't all of my friends Mm -hmm. taking this class and hiring doulas? Do you realize this is like a zillion dollar idea, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he like, he got it. And I was, I, you know, sort of had to explain to him a little bit like, yes, you are correct. And also <laughs> here's, here's the answer to your question, you know, but it and was like, it right. was like very affirming to hear mm-hmm. somebody from nowhere near the birth world, very objectively saying, wow, this stuff is so absolutely valuable, like incredibly absolutely. valuable. And we have to have that same attitude within the birth community, mm-hmm. right? Like if we all aligned with that mindset, it would change how we're seen in the medical field, right? Like it would change how people value us, that our clients value us. And of course, this is not speaking to people that are low income and marginalized and, you know, don't have the income. Of course, I'm not going (laughs) to, you know, charge someone. And if they don't have the financial, I'm not going to like, well, I'm $5,000 and if you can't do it, whatever. But that's the reason why I created my nonprofit. Because I was like, there's no way that I can take on all these free births by myself. But if I can create a community where we can take maybe, you know, one person can take, you know, a free birth every six months, that'll make such a difference and it becomes more sustainable and we can, we can reach more people. Now I have 44 doulas. They reach way more people than I was reaching by myself, right? And now that we have this um, partnership, I'm also able to pay them. So they're doing the community work and they're of the community and they're also receiving compensation for it. So we have to, again, we have to change our business models. I think some of the old school thinking, which is totally logical, is mm-hmm. we're just happy they let us in. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're just lucky we're here. We used to get mm-hmm. kicked out of rooms all the time. Yep. But, like, while that is a reality, or that was a reality, if that is no longer as much of a reality, then, like, we need to evolve our thinking on that. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that doulas themselves have changed. Like what doulas are and who doulas are and how many doulas there are have changed in the last, Mm -hmm. you know, 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of like unmooring ourselves from some of those beliefs that are kind of hold you back Mm -hmm. of like that whole mindset of, yes, of course, we'd be glad to do anything you want because we're just happy you're letting us in the door and, and kind of turning that more into you're so lucky that I'm, <laughs> that I exist, you know, exactly. like I what I have to here. provide is so, mm-hmm. yeah, is so valuable. And I'm a benefit we're, to everyone in this room right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm on the same, we're, we're all on the same level together. This isn't exactly. Um, exactly. a hierarchy and that. And it's sad because into. you do, you do walk into systems and you do have providers and you do have people who are totally understand. I have, there's doctors in San Diego, Dr. Kat being one of them. And he has his own center where he really works around, like, you know, basically he's like a doctor that works like a midwife. 
Like yeah. I've been at a birth with him before, Nick and he's Kappa like, Tanakis. "Okay, yeah." Is that how you say his name? Yeah. I've met him. I he's, I think he, he was or is on the board of Improving Birth, which I used to be. Yeah, on and the he's board just of, like one of those actors where you're like, yeah. "This was an amazing experience," and like, "This was great," and like, and he just even you know he talks to the doulas and he's in line with whatever, and he only interferes if he needs to. And it's great, but I feel like we're still we're still in that weird shift in in like hospital systems where we have doctors who are like that, and then we still have like you know the people who are super like <laughs> not like that. So it's, and it's really hard because there is there seems to be no uh, regulation around doctors, and like you know who can be just chopping yeah. people up all the time, and then it feels like the people that are more in line with just trusting a person's body to do what it does they're kind of outed from their community so it's just it's just a lot of it's just a lot. it's, it's just, complex like, yeah and yeah. i think we're still very much in that shift of like that even that hierarchy like doctors being in line with each other and you know doctors if they're not in line with each other it just trickles down and and here we are well we're we're pretty much out of time Okay, that's sad. I like talking to you. <laughs> I like talking to you too. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna be I haven't told well people in my class don't know this yet, but for my next training, I haven't announced your presence yet. But when I do, they're gonna be so hype. So hype. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna teach your your next cohort. I'm gonna mm-hmm. do a, a rights training for them. So yeah. I'm excited about Super that. Super exciting. I love doing that. Yeah, I'm it feels so like so effective. You know, it's like this is like this is the best thing that I could be doing is putting this information in the hands of the people who are directly supporting people in birth, also educating them about mm-hmm. their rights because parents are not getting that education anywhere else. Their doctors yeah, are not informing them about yeah. their rights at any point. And what you're doing too, like on a, like with the work that you're doing, especially when you talk to doulas and birth workers directly, is that you're really doing a process of unlearning because we are just, we're integrated into the medical system from the time that we are born. So there's a level of, even if we don't trust, there's still a level of, um, like we just follow, right? Like this is just what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to align with this. I'm just going to comply because this is what I've been taught to do since I was younger, right? You go into the doctor's office as a kid, your mom's like, okay, sit on the doctor's table, they're going to da-da-da, right? <laughs> like, you just, it's, it's, you just, it's, you just comply because that's just what you've been doing. So the work that you're doing for a lot of duels that I notice and birth workers that I notice is that you really teach them, you're, you're starting the process of unlearning for them. So they have to kind of like dig deep into themselves, like, oh, why did I? think that that was okay why did I just go along with that and like what taught me to be that way and now once they unlearn that about themselves right then they're able to really put that over to their clients and be like well this is I can stand firm on why you know this is your rights these are your choices and I'm able to handle and, and you know roll with any punches so that we can get you to the best outcome that we can I mean it's your deep work, work so in important. some ways thank you mm-hmm. Because a lot of it comes down to owning your own body. And that's not something you just teach. You you have to embody that yourself, right? Exactly. So it's not just, you know, it's not just about statistics or here's what the law says or here's yeah, what, it's, it's you know, ethics say or, yeah. It's, it's a yeah. mindset. And it's really being okay with the fact that you're going to go against what's being told to you. You're going to go against what you've been learning for years. 
you're going to go against this medical system who are going to, you know, sometimes you're going to try to push, push, push. And you're sometimes going to feel like you're standing, especially in a birth room. Sometimes you're like, I feel like I'm standing on an island by myself. And (laughs) And you're like, how far do I stand on this? You know, how long do I stand on this island by myself? But, you know, it's community. The more people learn, the more we gather around the idea, the more that it'll one day become the norm. I think some of the essence of that is keeping your own power, is keeping your power, which is what the doula Tracy Weaver in Alabama, like, actually has, like, teaches that keeping your power concept. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so, I think it's so important because it's, like, it's fundamental to both what a doula is doing as a doula and what a birthing person is doing as a birthing person and what a human does as a human, you know, absolutely. Again, it's not just about facts and statistics. It's stuff that you really have to embody. And I think it's really hard for people to practice that way when they don't, Mm -hmm. when they don't believe it themselves or they can't embody it themselves. And so it actually takes some inner work to exactly. be able to support people in the way they need to be supported sometimes, but not to get off on a totally different subject. Yes. Because <laughs> we really have to go. Thank you again. Thank, just thank you for being here and thanks for being honest and open about all of this. Me. And yeah. thank you for being part of my uh, training too. I'm super excited. Me too. All right. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye. Hi, this is Kristen. I don't know if you've noticed, but there aren't a lot of shows like this one out there. And one big reason is it has never been my goal to get corporate or mainstream ad money. Nope. We are supported by folks who are part of the change. In fact, the show you're listening to now is made possible by Evidence-Based Birth, your go-to source for high-quality, unbiased information on the latest evidence-based care practices for childbirth. We love evidence-based birth for its radical approach to changing maternity care, taking the evidence out of paywall journals and translating it right into the hands of parents, birth workers, and medical professionals so they can make change from the ground up. Like evidence-based birth, you can help keep Birth Aloud Radio an independent voice challenging a powerful status quo. Email us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com to find out how. Again, that's birthaloudradio at gmail.com.